Okay. So, just like baseball players, we want to be able to see all these, these exciting and great things happen in ministry, right? We want to be there when, when crowds and crowds and crowds of people hear the gospel and accept it, right? We want to be part of a church that, that reaches the city that we're in. We want to see people hear the gospel, people respond to the gospel. We want to see all these great things happen. But, even though we say we want those things, even though that's what I think most of us really do want, a lot of times we neglect what Jesus says is the most important aspect of that. We neglect the thing that Jesus says in our passage tonight is the foundation for ministry. So let's go ahead and and read our text, and then we'll get into that. Tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 39. 38. You don't have a Bible, there's some at the end of the rows. And you'll find tonight's passage in those Bibles on page 814. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. The main point of this passage is that compassionate prayer is the foundation for the mission. Compassionate prayer is the foundation for the mission. Jesus is going to tell us that that our compassion, what happens when we see people, what, what the Spirit stirs up within us, Compassion is going to push us to pray for people. We're going to pray specifically that that Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, will send out workers into the field. Compassion is the foundation for the mission. That's what we're going to see. Let's look at verse 35. Matthew starts this whole section by telling us that Jesus goes throughout all the cities and villages in Galilee. He goes through the whole region. He does three things. He teaches, he preaches, and he heals. He says he's teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. If we were to go all the way back to Matthew chapter 4, we see Matthew give us this same kind of three-part summary of Jesus' ministry. He gives us these same three things. He said Jesus goes throughout all of Galilee, and he teaches, and he preaches, and he heals. So here at the, the end of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, the end of, of these two sections that we've covered in the Sermon on the Mount, he just kind of tells us that again. Jesus preaches, he teaches, and he heals. We saw him preach in Matthew 4. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 5 through 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, we saw Jesus give, his, give us his, his teaching of what life was going to be like in the kingdom, how we should live as his disciples. 
And then, in the last two chapters, Matthew 8 and 9, we've seen Jesus doing all these miraculous things. He's been healing every kind of disease. He's been casting out demons. He's shown his power over creation. He's raised the dead. He's done all these things. We've seen him teaching and preaching and healing. He's been doing these things. So Matthew just says he's done it in all of Galilee. Now there's this this Jewish historian named Josephus. And he tells us that during this time, as Jesus is, is on the earth, he's doing these things, in Galilee there were about 204 villages and cities. Not really sure how accurate Josephus is. Sometimes he exaggerates things. But uh, he says there were around 200 cities. So Jesus goes to all these places. And I think that when we, when we realize that, that Matthew's very specific. He doesn't say that Jesus went through most of Galilee. He says he went through all the cities and all the villages. And when we realize that, and we realize how, how big of an area that is, and how many cities and villages there were there, I think that that's going to make Jesus' compassion, that we're going to see in the next verse, all that much more convicting for us. See, we don't have to worry about two, or 204 cities and villages. We've got one that we have enough problem having compassion for. But Jesus goes to city after city after city, and village after village. And, and all these people are coming up to him. And they're wanting him to, to bless him. They're wanting him to, to heal their diseases. To cast out any afflicting demons they have. They're wanting him to do all these things. They're wanting him to do ministry. To do the work of the ministry. And Jesus, instead of getting frustrated with the people who need him. Instead of getting tired of them. Matthew tells us at the end of it at all. After seeing all these people, Jesus had compassion on them. Let's look at verse 36. It's where we see this compassion. Matthew tells us that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now this compassion idea that Matthew is, is describing that Jesus has. It's not just a feeling. I think that sometimes we, we hear the word compassion, we see the word compassion in Scripture, and we think that it's just you know, the, this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that we have towards people in general. Sure, I have compassion. I'm a, I'm a nice guy, I'm kind, you know, I, I like people, I feel good inside about them. But this compassion that Jesus has, it's much more than emotion. It's much more than than some feeling that he has. The the word that Matthew uses actually talks about his his guts being stirred up. He feels it in such a way that it affects him. And it affects him in such a way that he acts on it. It's not just a feeling. It's a feeling that's so overwhelming that Jesus feels compelled to act because of it. He sees these crowds, he he has this feeling that's more than just a feeling, and he acts on it. Now what we have to ask are two things. First thing we have to ask is, is why did Jesus have compassion on the crowds? 
And then we have to ask, what does he do about it? If it's not just a feeling, if it, if it pushes him to action, what does he do? So the first question, why do you have compassion? Matthew explains that to us. He says that the people are helpless, they're harassed, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. What he means by harassed is that they're, they're bullied, they're, they're oppressed, they're taken advantage of. These people are kind of beaten down by society, beaten down by the world. They're harassed. He also tells us that they're helpless. It's pretty self-explanatory. These people can't do anything to help themselves. They can't rescue themselves. They can't escape this, this harassment that they're facing. That They're helpless. They can't do anything on their own. And he tells us they're like sheep without a shepherd. This is just kind of a, an image that Jesus uses to sum up these two terms. This, this harassment and this helplessness. They don't have someone to, to watch over them like a shepherd would do. They don't have someone to take care of them like a shepherd would do. They don't have someone to protect them like a shepherd would do. They're like sheep without a shepherd. That means that they will follow, they will go after anything that looks any, at all appealing to them. And if I could think of, of one kind of picture that describes people being like a sheep without a shepherd, and this might get me in trouble, but it would be men wearing skinny jeans. I mean, I don't know. People will follow anything. People will do anything. And Jesus, when he sees this, he sees these people, who are, who are misled, led poorly, not cared for, taken advantage of, beaten down by the world. And there's no one there to protect them and deliver them. Instead of, instead of judging them, instead of condemning them, instead of being frustrated that they flock to Him and, and they want His ministry, He has compassion on them. And the question for us, when we look at the world is do we have compassion like Jesus did? When we come face to face with people at Walmart who parent their kids differently than we parent our kids, or who talk to their spouse differently than we talk to our spouse, or who treat the cashier differently than we think they should be treated, is it something that frustrates us, that, that angers us, that causes us to sin against them, condemn them, judge them? Or is it something that causes us to see in them not just someone who's evil, not just someone who's corrupt, but someone who is looking for someone to follow? Someone who is, who is looking for a shepherd to come into their life and lead them where they need to go, not where they want to go. Do we have compassion on people? And don't say that, well, sure, we should have compassion. But, but people are evil. We know that. The Bible says that. Jesus knows that too. In fact, he said it in Matthew 7, verse 11. He acknowledges that people are evil. But he still has compassion on them. He still pushed beyond that. Pushed beyond just judging and condemning. To, to having pity on them to the degree that it causes him to act on their behalf. That's what we're going to see him do. 
So that's the next question. What does Jesus do about it? He has this feeling, but what does he do? Well, really, there's two things that he does. There's two answers to the question, what does Jesus do about it? And the first one uh, is that Jesus doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't do anything about it because he's already in the process of doing something about it. The very fact that Jesus is is where he is in Matthew 9, he's talking to these people, he's ministering throughout Galilee, the very fact that he's there is Jesus doing something about his compassion. He was sent into the world because of compassion. He was sent into the world to redeem it and to redeem us and to save these people who, like us, were sheep without a shepherd. He's there doing what he's doing because he has compassion. So the first part is that Jesus is doing something about his compassion. Now, if you're here tonight, and this this description, these people that Jesus describes, this kind of wandering around You're looking for someone who's finally going to come into your life and and care for you and protect you and lead you and guide you and provide for you. If you're someone who who that that describes you, you don't don't have that. Then the thing that you need to hear tonight is that Jesus did it. He, He came into the world to be the shepherd that we need him to be. This guy Peter, who we're going to meet next week, he, he wrote this letter to a church in Asia, and he describes the same thing. He says this, talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter's saying that we're we're all, without Christ, in the same boat. We're all wandering around, wandering through life like sheep without a shepherd. And what we see Jesus doing in this passage tonight, the very fact that he's there in Galilee, is the first step he's taking to becoming this shepherd that all of them and all of us need him to be. That's the first answer to what Jesus did about his compassion. He, he left heaven. He took on flesh. He, he lived a perfect life, died a violent death, paying the penalty for our sins, offers forgiveness and redemption to us. That's what Jesus did about his compassion. He also does something else. The second thing is the more immediate thing we see in the passage, and that's that he tells his disciples to do something about it. He feels his compassion. And he instructs his disciples, he instructs us to, to act on it. Look what he says in verses 37 and 38. Matthew tells us, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says, he acknowledges the fact that the the harvest is plentiful. 
And here, you know, it's, it's kind of confusing because sometimes in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the harvest as what's going to happen at the end. But here, he's talking about the actual crop. Not, not the act of the harvest taking place, but the fact that, that a large crop, a plentiful crop, is going to happen. He says it's going to be a big one. That there's lots of people who are ready to be harvested for the kingdom, but there aren't very many workers. And it's interesting that he doesn't say, go out. Be, be a worker, be a laborer. He's going to call his disciples of that next week. But in our passage tonight, he only gives us one thing to do. He only gives his disciples one thing to do. He says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask Jesus to send out laborers into the field. And even though, even though this is the only step, the only uh, next action step, that Jesus gives us. I think it's the one that we miss the most. The, the simple act of, of praying, of, of asking Jesus that he would send out people into the field. It's the one we do the least. We'll create a missions organization, we'll come up with a program, we'll draw up a plan, we'll, we'll send people out, we'll go door to door, we'll prayer walk, we'll, we'll do all these things before Jesus tells us that prayer is the foundation. It's what comes first. Anything we try to stack on top of that without doing it isn't going to be as successful. Now, just because prayer is the only thing that Jesus tells us to do in this passage, that doesn't mean that that's the only thing that's required of us. This passage doesn't mean, it does not mean that the only thing we should do is pray. But it does mean, it does mean that we shouldn't do anything without praying. Let me say that again. This passage doesn't mean that we should do nothing but pray. But it does mean that we shouldn't do anything without it required. It's, it's, it's the foundation for the mission that he sends us on. And we have to notice that the prayer that Jesus is talking about here, it's not just this kind of simple ho-hum prayer that, that God would send out workers into the field as if we're asking him to, to bless the cheeseburger we're about to eat. It's not what he's talking about. This, we see this in this, this key word here. He says, pray earnestly. Earnestly. And what the translators there are trying to convey with, it, with that extra word. Don't just pray. Pray earnestly. They're, they're trying to tell us about this word and how it includes this, this almost sense of desperation as we ask God to do this. We see this same word. In, uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 38, this, this father comes to Jesus. And he says, Teacher, I beg you, help my son. He's my only son. 
Father goes on to describe to Jesus what the Son is suffering. The Son is, is afflicted by an evil spirit, by a demon. And the Spirit will, will throw his Son down, or will cause him to have a violent seizure. Even tells us that sometimes the Spirit throws his Son into the fire, throws his Son into the water. He does all these horrible things to his Son. And, and no matter how much the, the, the Father has tried to, to get his Son freed from this, he can't. So he comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, I beg you, help my son. And the father's begging, I beg you. This is the same exact word that, that Matthew uses. Pray earnestly. Now parents, imagine if one of your children suffered like this. If you're not a parent, think about your parents. Think about your loved ones. If, if someone that you cared about suffered this kind of condition, suffered this kind of torment, had this, this horrible life, and there was someone that you knew could do something about it, don't you think that you would come to them just like this man does? And you would, you would beg them and beg them and beg them to, to help your child, to help your loved one, until they did something about it. And Jesus says that that's the same kind of passion when we ask Him to send out workers for the harvest. Not just, you know, send out workers for the harvest. Please do it. It's something we should ask again and again and again and again. Something that should be part of the core of who we are. Something that should affect us deeply. If it's not. If, if we don't pray with this kind of earnest seeking. Then we're not obeying what Jesus tells us to do. He tells us to do one thing. To pray earnestly. The last thing we need to see in our text. That's how Jesus tells us to ask. But we need to see what he tells us to ask for. Matthew tells us that we're to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is a really small thing, but it's important. We need to see how precisely Jesus describes the harvest describes what we asked for. We asked the Lord of the harvest, Jesus, to send out workers into his harvest. What we need to see is that it's it's his harvest. People responding to the gospel respond because he sends the workers. He sends his workers into the field for his harvest. He's he's doing the whole thing. The harvest is happening because of God's supernatural work in the world. And if we miss that and we try to take credit for it and try to think that it happens any other way, we're not going to have his harvest. We're going to have some other harvest that's not going to be nearly as good or something that we want. 
And the point is, is that whether we're talking about, about some worldwide harvest, or, or the U.S., or the city of Hannibal, or, or the street we live on, or even this, this guy that we know, when we start talking about people responding to the gospel because Jesus has sent his workers into the field for his harvest, all of it, no matter how big or small, happens because he's sent the workers into his harvest. And so when we pray earnestly, and we should pray earnestly, that's what we need to ask for. Not that we would look good, not that our church would grow, not that our mission would be a success. But that He would send out workers into His harvest for His mission, for His glory. That's what we want to see happen. Jesus says, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. I think of all the verses that we've seen so far in Matthew. Maybe even of all the verses in the Bible, this is probably the easiest one to go out and act on. You don't even have to do anything in front of people. The only thing we have to do is, is go home and, and get on our knees or get on our faces and ask God to send out workers into His harvest. And then get up and do the same thing tomorrow. And get up and do the same thing the next day. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It doesn't require that much of us. But even though it's easy, it's probably the one thing that we miss the most. And it's the most important thing. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would cause us by your spirit to have the kind of compassion that Jesus has in this text tonight. God, that when we look out on the city of Hannibal, that we wouldn't see something that we don't understand or that we don't like or that is inconvenient to us. that we would see people who are in need of you. In need of you to be their shepherd. And that you are the great shepherd and overseer of our souls. How we ask that you would put this prayer on our lips and you would place within us a passionate earnestness that would affect all of our life. God, that we would seek this request as if we were praying for the life of our child. Jesus, we just ask that you would move us to pray. And we would pray in faith.
trusting in you, our great shepherd, who provides for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.